Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us Hezekiah Cantor. That's the pseudonym of a high school teacher, social studies teacher, and a coach. Uh, He is a past winner of Teacher of the Year in his district. He's self-published a book last year entitled Trojan Horse Religion about how what he calls progressive liberalism has uh, taken over public education uh, more and more advancing as we as we know uh, with increasing momentum uh, I would say he's here to discuss what he's seen in his many years in the public schools uh, particularly the way in which the the politics have affected his his actual work and and others and become something of the force of a religion in in public education. Welcome, Hezekiah. Thanks for having me. First, let me ask you, uh, how were you trained and, and certified as a teacher? Did you go to one of the ed schools? Did you have a, a sort of a standard formation? Yeah, it was pretty standard. Uh, I got my bachelor's degree in history uh, and decided I wanted to get into teaching and ended up going to a school of education uh, at a Jesuit college out west. Uh, and so that's how I got into teaching originally. And then to renew my teaching license, I ended up getting a national board um, certification. So that allows me to teach in all 50 states. So at a Jesuit college, did you experience the, the predominant outlook of, of public education in general, the, the progressive liberalism? Was it there in your training? Yeah, you know, that's it, it really was. And what's interesting is it happened, you know, about 15 years ago, more than a decade ago. And even there, I could kind of see this this thing that I labeled progressive liberalism really being the dominant worldview at this Catholic college. Why, why do you call this worldview? I mean, if it's dominant, why do you call it a, a Trojan horse religion? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I think it's the main thesis of this book that I wrote, and it really kind of became more and more evident to me as I was researching, is that this ideology, it masquerades simply as a political ideology. And and that's really how it slips in. And it manages to, to take over, in fact, just about everything it touches, because people don't realize that, that what is also getting smuggled in is is a religious doctrine, I would say. I, I was talking to, to somebody 
oh a few days ago about this this fact and and really it's the question that I ask uh, about this religion, which is if you approach progressive liberalism from like an anthropological, historical, sociological, a psychological perspective, you know how many markers of of how these disciplines define religion. Do you need to tick off before you can finally say that, yes, what we have is like true bona fide religion uh, developing in front of us? And, you know, this book I wrote really ticks off a lot of boxes. So I guess I'd leave the individual to, to you know, decide for themselves whether or not it really is religion. But, but the Trojan horse aspect really is just the way that it surreptitiously manages to uh, conceal itself in sort of our liberal framework that we live under. What, what would you say distinguishes a culture war from a, a religious conflict? Or is, is there a sharp distinction to draw? That's really a hard question to answer. I think it's even harder now because we live in you know a pluralistic society where there are a multitude of religions that are you know battling in the marketplace of ideas. I think the culture war, it is intensified by this fact that one of the religions competing to proselytize or evangelize, so to speak, uh, isn't seen as a religion. Um, and so it makes it it makes it more complicated. And I'm talking, you know, specifically about progressive liberalism. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have competition between ideas. But I think when one of them is is so clearly a bad actor, it's very hard to distinguish between the two. And I don't have a good answer for that. When you think back on your training as a teacher, and facing this predominant outlook of progressive liberalism, what were the specific, what were some of the specific dogmas and doctrines that were you asked to assume either implicitly or explicitly in the course of being certified as a teacher? Yeah, well, that's an easy one to answer to start off, I suppose. Uh, it's what Jordan Peterson calls the the die triad. <laughs> that you're supposed to just implicitly accept this idea as it is given to you of what diversity me means, of what inclusion means, and of what equity means. And it's given to you very specifically uh, by form, by your professors, uh, and in the literature that you're reading. And so, you know, from right off the bat, that's kind of what we were being exposed to. I, I remember, I think the best example is we ended up having to read uh, this book by a guy named Paulo Freire, who's a, a Brazilian student of education, who wrote a book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And uh, this book really kind of lays all those dogmas and doctrines out. And, and really, we were we were kind of being asked to almost uncritically accept uh, his his ideas, um, which which really kind of put together this this die triad, uh, and then also a very intense focus on power dynamics, um, but from a very you know almost culturally Marxist sort of background, uh, and and so so I, I guess I would start there, and then the doctrines kind of proceed from that. I mean, there's many other dogmas that go in, but, but yeah, they really kind of build from, from that foundation. And, and the, the, the presumption in, in Frere, uh, broadly speaking, is that one understands education in its transfer of knowledge, in, in, the, in the inculcation of knowledge and skills, 
does have a power element to it. That, that there is, there's an element of oppression going on in what looks to be like forms of enlightenment and, and education. Is that, is that what they were saying? I think basically, and they would say furthermore that it's therefore the job of the educator to remove himself or herself from a hierarchical standard where he or she teaches with authority and instead to uh, teach with the sort of egalitarian framework that asks the student to become self-aware and ultimately to become an activist, right? And, you know, if you get onto social media or watch teachers talking on YouTube or see, you know, some of the more prominent teachers in the national education unions, this is really the goal, right, is to turn to turn the student into an activist. Or rather, if you come back to the Trojan horse religion, it's to, it's to convert uh, the unconverted student and to make them an evangelist to go out and convert the world to these sorts of dogmas and concepts. You know, I've seen in, in ed school pedagogy curricula, the stated goal overtly is not to make a students into highly skilled, uh, knowledge-informed human beings, but to turn them into, quote, social change agents. They're very open about about producing producing activists. And the teacher's goal is to is to produce activists as well. Now, what happens when a young teacher comes out of ed schools with this vision of education and then enters into a classroom and finds that turning a lot of these kids into social change agents is is a lot more complicated than it sounds? Yeah, I mean, well, first you have to assume that the teacher is accepting that. But I think that I think that when they encounter troubles with trying to impose this, it doesn't really matter because it runs up against the fact that if you accept this pseudo-religion, uh, it's a deeply moralistic and satisfying worldview, right? So you really think you're doing good work. I mean, so coming back to the psychology of this, I imagine that teachers who who believe this stuff, you know, they really think that, that they're engaged uh, in, in bending the arc of history towards justice, right? And so I think it ignores its contradictions. Um, and I think that for the truly zealous teacher who, who accepts kind of this idea that we're talking about, I, I, don't, I don't think that they're able to really uh, to, to see the pitfalls of it. You know, I'm not sure if that's what you were asking about, but I, I think that's what I was understanding. So Yeah, yeah. Well, the just the, the, the attempt to bring a, a religiously uh, founded politics or, or ideology to groups of nine and 10 year olds whose problems just seem awfully unrelated. For example, kids who, who have no fathers around, kids who watch TV 30 hours a week and, and don't do their homework, that there are a lot of practical considerations that make the, the mission uh, a little more frustrating than, than they thought. Yeah, but they have an answer to that, right? And the answer is, uh, if a student struggles in school uh, or, or is having trouble growing into being the young man or the young woman that you know, we want them to be, it's not because they came from a fatherless household. Uh, and it's not because they were on their phone too much 
In fact, I think that the worldview here tells us to not even consider these things or only to consider these things insofar as we also accept that these disparate outcomes are because of systemic you know, discrimination or uh, systemic bigotry of some sort. Uh, so in other words, there's already an answer um, that's given to the teacher and to the student, by the way, right, uh, to tell them uh, why they are not attaining whatever it is that we're asking them to attain. So it's very circular, right, which is what makes it, I think, very hard to to attack from the outside in. Right, right. Did the teachers in your education school program encounter any resistance among you, your peers, to adopting the, the religion, or at least making it so important that it eclipses other considerations? Well, I think the main consider, consideration is to get a job, right? And so this is, this is, a, this is a big problem. Um, and I guess I can relate it to getting my national board, which is uh, they expect you to make a diversity statement, right? And so, I mean, I pushed back on these ideas in my grad program, but I think that, you know, most people are not activists and most teachers are not, you know, fully indoctrinated uh, priests is what I call them uh, of this religion. Uh, and, and it's interesting. I mean, I call the the, the schools of education, uh, uh, the seminary, right? Because that's what they're turning out. They're turning out a sort of priesthood of this religion, but not everybody really believes it, right? And so when they go into the Sunday school or what I call public education, uh, not all of them really are are uh, highly catechized, right? Uh, so, so, so I think many of them are just trying to get a job or they just don't want to have conflict, right? And but so this is the really dangerous thing about it is, is because of how uh, we are all naturally to some extent conflict diverse, uh, when you put in these 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 filters about what you're supposed to say about diversity and what you're supposed to say about inclusion, uh, it's just easier for a lot of people to accept it uh, and to not rock the boat. Because if you do rock the boat, you're now labeled as as being a villain, an infidel, uh, is how I describe it, and you don't get promoted, you don't get hired, right? Uh, or that's the major fear. And so I think that's what's allowed it to just run amok. So there is pushback, but but the, the pushback is 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 really diminished by these these things that are in place, if that makes sense. Oh, OK, well, when it comes to the issues, say, of conscience or something like a diversity statement being a kind of loyalty oath or, or a catechism, one would expect the organizations that defend the, the rights of teachers, that is, the teachers unions, would have a problem with all of this. What's going on with them? Well, I think it's a lot of institutional enmeshment. Uh, and so, you know, I think on the one hand, they're going to talk about academic freedom, but I think that they're also highly connected to and bought off by the Democrats. And they've really hitched their wagon to the, Demo to the Democratic Party, which, which means that they are, to a large extent, subject to politics of the greater culture outside of them, uh, if that makes sense, right? Um, I mean, I think, I think that the teachers' unions, they know who butters their bread, right? And, and the party that tends to butter their bread is going to be the Democrat Party. So that's one aspect of it. 
the other thing I think that that makes it tougher for them to push back is 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 that they're also part of this cycle of of indoctrination that doesn't just happen in the public schools, but it goes on in the university. So they're in this culture that is that is saturated with groupthink. And there's also a financial interest that they have in in being silent about the groupthink. I mean, I saw this when I was at a I went to a, a state teachers union um, assembly and and, you know, the groupthink is really strong. And and I suppose another thing is that in terms of the teachers unions, many of the most active uh, members in the union tend to be very aggressive left wing people. I mean, I can go into greater detail about that, but it was really stunning to see that happen at this this teachers union uh, general conference, because part of my state is very deep blue and part of my state is deep red. And and really most of what is on the agenda is being created by the sort of deep blue activist type teachers and and the red teachers either get submerged or they go along with it so it's complicated i guess so uh the public schools in deep red areas even those hold pretty firmly to the the deep blue pedagogies curricula and so on or they just go with it or pay lip service to it right they're like they're not actively engaged in trying to root it out and when they try to they get overwhelmed um, and, and I think this is partly because of just kind of the profile of who becomes a public school teacher. So I wrote about that uh, in the book and I've written articles about that, which is that the, the vast majority of teachers themselves tend to be left leaning. I saw a study uh, it was by Verdant Labs showing the FCC or the I think that's the, the track political contributions the the donations of high school teachers and elementary school teachers, they slant overwhelmingly to the left. Right. And so so. Even the teachers themselves, who eventually become union uh, leaders, many of them, they themselves are bought in to a large extent into the ideology. And so you're just outnumbered. You you teach social studies, you teach history. How much control over do you have over the content of what you teach? I still think I have a lot of control over the content. Now, I don't have control over who produces the content, right? This is a problem uh, in terms of who produces the textbooks and how they're writing them, who produces documentary video that we use uh, and what they're saying, who produces the entertainment that kids are seeing out uh, in the general public. But I think I, ha- I have a lot of control to some extent over, over what it is that, that, I'm, that I'm showing uh, or, or having kids read. I mean, one thing is if you're intentional you can really get around a lot of the indoctrination by just getting the primary sources yourself, right? And having the kids read that. So, so there's a lot of control, but again, I think one of the major problems is if you're not savvy to, to this, or you don't question this, people have a tendency to go along with whatever is given to them. And so looking at it from the social studies perspective, you know, a lot of, there's a joke that goes around within public education that, that a lot of social studies teachers are really coaches first and foremost, <laughs> that, you know, that they're trying, you know, their main focus is coaching football or basketball or whatever, and that the teaching in the classroom is kind of uh, subsidiary to that. Well, for those types of teachers, they're just going to give whatever material is given to them and they're going to pass it on, right? Because, because they're not necessarily leading so much as, as they're just facilitating the learning which, by the way, is encouraged to some extent in the schools of education. Okay, so if you're not critically thinking about what it is that you're presenting to the kids, then you're just going to give whatever is the most recent thing being produced. And that's really concerning because the stuff that's being recently produced uh, is extremely slanted. And that, that's our connection now to academia, right, and the university. 
which is becoming more and more uh, infected or not infected, but more and more uh, open in its embrace of this uh, pseudo-religion, progressive liberalism. And so the textbooks that you're getting, the documentaries that you're getting, uh, the, the kinds of things to excite kids um, about history in terms of entertainment, like Hamilton, for example, this is being produced and made by people who have a very, very specific worldview. So it, it gets hard. I think if you're not if you're not critical about it, uh, and you're just the average teacher who's who's just you know seeing this as a profession and nothing more, and really not asking questions, you're transmitting to young people uncritically uh, things that that are very slanted and biased. And we we can go into you know greater detail about that if you want. Have you have you seen uh, in your experience the bias? accelerating in the last few years? Well, like you, I think you mentioned that you, you taught AP European history and that, that, that that's changed recently quite a bit. Yeah, it was cut. The district doesn't offer it anymore. Wait, there's no, there's no European history in your district, AP? No. Why? Well, I think it's, it's trying to get away from what they call a Eurocentric way of looking at the world. More and more, uh, this word is taken to be pejorative to some extent, when we talk about history uh, or the history of science and art and culture and so on. And so we want to have a more diverse way of looking at the world. And so the the move has really been from AP European history to AP, excuse me, world history. Yeah. And and, and because because we still had AP, world history still sound, sound, sounds good. That parents weren't upset when the district dropped European history? Or those that were upset were out, you know, outnumbered just by apathy. I think that's a big element in it, right? People are conflict averse, uh, and they just tended to go along uh, with with what we're asked to do. Psychologically, I think there wasn't a lot of pushback. All right, let, let, let's turn to the the current issue, and that is uh, what's going to happen next month when the when the schools when the school year begins. What is what is happening in your state? Uh, regarding the public schools opening or closing? Well, I can talk about my my district in particular, and that is that they've decided to go entirely online, um, which was a fiasco last spring, and I imagine it will be a fiasco this fall. But but there's this there's this incredible cowardice <laughs> uh, among people when it comes to this issue of having to go out and live. And and where are the parents on this? I mean, isn't this going to drive parents nuts to have their kids at home all the time? Oh, I think so. I mean, the irony is, and I've always joked about this with, with colleagues of mine, and some of them don't like to hear this, but I think, I think they'll be upset, many of them, only insofar as the public schools are babysitting. And, and, and I don't mean everybody in public school is there to be babysat, but, but uh, you know, that's the major pushback is, you know, what am I going to do about um, taking care of my kids um, because the public schools really enable uh, that sort of culture to to happen. Um, and so I think that's going to be one aspect. For me, I guess, you know, my main concern is how much learning is really going to take place, right? Because if I'm in a classroom, I can monitor and regulate whether or not kids are distracted on their cell phones or listening to, you know, totally unrelated stuff while I'm trying to lecture or while we're reading a book. I can't do that, right, uh, in the same way. And and so I really just wonder how much actual learning is going to take place. Um, now, a lot of parents are concerned about this, right, parents who, who really care about uh, what college their kids are going to, although 
I'm not sure how that's going to work with many of the colleges not being uh, open, but but we'll see how it all works out. You said that it was a disaster at the end of the last year school year. What what? Why was it a disaster? Well, I think you know our district uh, decided not to make any of it count. This is crazy to think about, but basically uh, all kids had to do between between uh, when we began the lockdowns in the, uh, was it early spring until the end of the school year, you know, we were, we were online supposedly for several months and all they had to do was just check in a few times. Uh, they also decided not to, um, they decided that, that, that a student uh, who was currently passing when the lockdown began could not fail, even if they did absolutely nothing between the beginning and the end of the lockdown, right? It's just crazy. It's like it was just churning out degrees. And there was really like the attendance was dismal. Um, I mean, at first there was kind of a, there was a, there was a blip for a few weeks. Um, I teach both, you know, general ed and AP. And so the AP kids tended to be more connected. I'd say that probably 60 or 70% of them were checking in every single week, you know, but the general ed kids, I would say my attendance was maybe 20 or 30%. <laughs> Are the kids scared? I mean, has, has the fear spread to them too? <sighs> That's a hard question to answer. It's hard to answer because I really, you know, I haven't seen them uh, or gotten to, to talk to them as much. And, and again, the online learning that we were doing was, it was just, it's not the same thing as being in person and in and in a class, and so I don't know. I can't really answer that question. I I, I wrote a piece uh, recently saying that if they do testing, uh, statewide testing next spring, we're going to see a big drop in in reading and math scores and and in the other subjects if they test those those as well. You think so? Oh, I think that's probably true. Right, people are going to be out of practice. I think what's worrisome is that the skills that are you know needed to be taught are just being completely dropped. I, I, I worry. I mean, I'm not a math or science teacher, but I can at least speculate what's going to happen with those kids. You know, you think of learning in those subjects, especially mathematics. It's like a pyramid, right? It's like, and you take an entire year out. Like, you're going to have to go back uh, and start over again. It, it just it, it, it just seems it seems totally cowardly and craven. And I blame a lot of it on the teachers unions um, and, and teachers. It, it, it's it's embarrassing, at least for myself, to be to be getting paid my full salary uh, and not having to be in a classroom and teach. I, I mean, I understand if you're an older teacher, you have health problems. I think there should be some accommodation for them. But when you're middle aged like me, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense. You're you're a coach. How has the the woke ha, has the woke revolution, the the identity politics, the the progressive liberalism, uh, you know, to the exponential level? How has it changed the athletics at your school? Um, that's hard to answer because because I'm very sports specific. But but I will say that you know I coach I coach runners and and it really worries me about what's going to happen when this when this gets in, especially with the trans issue, because you know nobody wants to talk about this. But 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 boys and girls are different physiologically. They get injured in different ways physiologically, and their performance abilities are just different. Ha- have you had trans? controversies in your district yet not yet right but it really worries me i mean if 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 i was a if i was a father of daughters i would be so upset 
I would be so upset about this. I have a friend whose whose sister, you know, won a, won a state track championship and got a scholarship uh, years ago, and and I wonder, like, okay, what's going to happen to a girl like that who then gets destroyed by some um, boy, right, who's passing as a girl, and and what happens to her future? But that hasn't happened in in, in my purview just yet. But it's yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, do you have allies? you know, people sympathetic with whom you can talk about some of these issues, some of the, some of the athletic coaches who are just, I mean, and this could be a lot of liberals as well as conservatives who are just shaking their heads at what may be coming. I mean, I imagine because of the pandemic, all sports are suspended in your school, correct? For the most part, it's kind of fluid right now. We're not, we're not sure what's going to happen going forward. But do you have colleagues who are as concerned as you are about about the impact of all of this on on athletics oh for sure i think that's the thing right it's so much of this is submerged and and i and this is so funny it comes back to this idea of state religion right which is you're not allowed to question it and it can be a political religion too right i mean like you 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 read about people who are dissidents in the soviet union in the 70s and 80s and you had this bankrupt ideology strangling all discourse. And the same thing is happening in sports or in the schools, right? Where there are plenty of people who think this is craziness. The problem though, is that if you if you openly uh, speak out yourself now, you have these well-funded machines that will destroy you or make it impossible for you to teach uh, and continue in your job. I mean, it's terrifying for me to see Catholic schools um, firing people who, who who are faithful to Catholic teaching. There's I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Timothy Gordon who got fired for for just saying totally factual things about the BLM movement. Um, and, and so it's like okay, if you can't survive in in a Catholic school, a public school is it's even more blue. It's even more uh, off the chart liberal. So you know I think that people just out of self preservation allow themselves to be submerged. Is there a generation gap on these issues between older teachers and teachers coming out of ed schools in the last three or four years? Sure. I think that the older teachers really have a hard time uh, understanding or comprehending how zealous the the evangelism of this progressive liberal religion is. They don't get it. And I think, you know, Part of it comes back to what I like to call this this feedback loop between the schools of education and the public schools, which is to say that they are getting more and more leftist uh, as time goes on. Uh, and so the schools of education are turning out more and more leftist teachers who then take this ideology into the classroom and the kids who are the most you know brilliant that are going to go to college that's what they're being saturated in. And so you have kids every every year who are getting more and more uh, leftist, right, who are going into the, uh, into the schools of education. And of them, those who become professors uh, of education, they're always going to be more and more to the left of the generation that came before them. So there's this interesting feedback, um, feedback loop between the university and the public school uh, in terms of moving everything further and further to the left. So I can see that even myself being, you know, middle-aged as a teacher compared to some of the teachers I've seen coming out in their, you know, early and mid-20s. Will this move to the, increasingly to the left and the zeal in, in the younger teacher, is that going to send more young, more parents 
to take their kids elsewhere to do homeschooling or certain charter schools that that that, that aren't woke as of yet in or religious schools they might they might but the problem is is that it's, it's an uneven playing field right so even if they take their kids out and this is one of the great injustices uh, that you can see is that if you're a homeschooler or you have your kids in private school, your property taxes are still buttressing the public schools. And so now you're, you're having to double pay in essence to do it. And so I think for, for, for parents who are more uh, well-to-do or ideologically committed to fighting back, it's certainly an option. But for the great mass of kids whose, whose parents either aren't savvy to it or there's just economic um, concerns. I think their kids are trapped in this in this uh, system that's off the rails. What last question, Hezekiah? Where where is the Trojan horse religion in the public schools going to be in, in ten years from now? I mean, that's worrisome. I mean, I got to tell you, with like the last six months of how the country's had this like nervous breakdown, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see it becoming uh, more and more authoritarian because it has more and more institutional power behind it, right? And this, this ties into to, to its other connections, right, with, with the broader culture as it is. There's so much power behind this, this pseudo-religion, not just in the public schools, but in media, in entertainment, in the tech industry, which is more and more woke. In, in fact, like with many of the S&P 500 corporations becoming more and more woke, uh, and then also having its hands in, in the federal bureaucracy, which makes up the rules uh, and can carry out the lawsuits. It, it really worries me, I suppose. The worst case is that it just gets more and more uh, aggressive in finding heresy and rooting it out, which means people who think like me <laughs> or you, right? Uh, that's the worry. I think I'm hoping I'm hoping that maybe it just overextends itself uh, and 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 goes too far, kind of the way that you know the the 1950s McCarthyism did when it eventually came after uh, George C. Marshall, right? And everybody was like, okay, this is crazy. You're gonna you can't say that like the the uh, uh, one of one of the one of the most highest ranking or one of the most high ranking American generals in World War II was a communist, right? That that's when it went too far. Is is when they finally targeted um, people who were unimpeachable, um, and so. Maybe the the best case scenario is that this thing eventually goes too far like that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe by saying that somebody really prominent, I don't know, former President Obama is like not woke enough or something. Maybe that will wake people up. But but I don't know. Hezekiah Cantor, uh, author of Trojan Horse Religion. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.